0: Welcome to another edition of the Ball Till You Fall podcast. This is David. Um, it's uh, Thursday, November fourteenth here, and I just want to start this episode out by saying that I'm a huge fan of Bill Simmons and his company, uh, The Ringer, and just all their sports podcasts in general. And honestly, uh, listening to those podcasts probably played a big reason into you know why I felt comfortable enough to start this podcast right here. But uh, I just I just listened to an episode that Bill Simmons and Kevin O'Connor were part of, they released this past Tuesday, so two days ago, and they did their NBA awards through the first 10 games of the season. And while I, you know, I usually tend to agree with most of, you know, if not all, most of both of those guys, uh, Bill Simmons and Kevin O'Connor, their views and opinions uh, on, you know, just everything related to the NBA. I just wanted to do my own version of this, you know, uh, 10-game NBA award show because there was one award in particular that I feel like they they had a pretty glaring omission from. Um, so I'm just gonna go over what what that one omission was, and then I'll kind of do my own version of uh, some of the other uh, you know just common awards that are given out at the end of the season uh, because you know nothing changes throughout the course of the NBA season, right? Uh, anyways, so let's start with the award that they were talking about uh, that I had a problem with. Um, it wasn't. It didn't have to do with who they did mention. It had more to do with who they forgot to mention. So they were talking about the MVP so far through the first ten games of the season, and they said they only said two names. They said Giannis and Luka Doncic. So obviously Giannis is. I would say he's the favorite right now. Um, as they said in that episode, he's pretty much all his. You know, counting statistics, points, rebounds, assists are higher than they were last season when he won the MVP so he's averaging 30 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists, shooting 59% from the floor. And uh then Luca. also I completely agree he has uh he had he had a good case for MVP I'd say. And now you have to take this with a grain, of, a grain of salt because they recorded this on Tuesday. Now the uh Mavericks versus Knicks game just wrapped up like 20 minutes ago and the Mavericks lost to the New York Knicks who are without a doubt the worst team in the league this season so obviously that is you know that's affecting my my opinions here but Luka is still averaging 28 points 10 rebounds 9 assists and he's he really is the sole reason that the Mavs are 6 and 5 which doesn't sound great and when they recorded their episode I'm sure they were 6 and 4 maybe 6 and 3 at the best but uh here's my issue is that they didn't even mention James Harden as an MVP candidate now I do okay. So I'm not the biggest Harden fan. Um I don't I don't think that his style of play is necessarily like the most fun to watch and just, you know, I kind of do hate the foul hunting that he does and just the sheer amount of free throws he shoots is kind of boring to watch personally. But at the end of the day, like you have to put all that aside and look at the numbers and just look at the results so far through the first 10 games of the season. So he okay, Harden is currently averaging <laughs> I had to double check these to make sure this is correct, but he's averaging 38 points per game, slightly above that, actually 38.2, which that alone right there, uh, you know, when you include 38 points per game and the Rockets are eight and three, which is the number two seed in the West, that alone is enough to, you know, be in consideration at least. But then you also have to add eight, a little over eight assists, uh, five and a half rebounds per game and one and a half steals per game. And then of course, you know, turnovers are always a concern with Harden. But, you know, this year is no different. He's averaging about just slightly under six turnovers per game, which is terrible. But, you know, you can't nitpick that too much because Giannis and Luca are both averaging four and a half themselves. And like I said, Harden's assist are 8.2. So all of those guys' assist to turnover ratios are pretty similar. Now, I would say if, you know, if we had to choose an MVP right now, it really is, it's the same story as last season. It's Harden and Giannis and no one else really is making that serious of a case um and I just I would probably still go with Giannis to be honest if I had to vote right now but I just had a I just had a slight problem with them just not even mentioning Harden's name because I know people think that you know he flames out in the playoffs and they don't like the way he plays they don't think he's a good teammate yada 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 at the end of the day if you're on the second best team in the Western Conference and you're averaging basically 40 points per game and eight assists you you deserve to be mentioned at least in the top three you know if not the favorite to win Uh, so that was really the only bone I had to pick with uh, what they said on that episode Um, but so I'll get into some of my other just I'll go quickly through these awards so rookie of the year uh, this award was supposed to be a lot more fun heading into the season before um, Zion got hurt so obviously Ja Moran has to be the the uh, front runner right now. He not only hit a game-winner just the other night, he also was the reason for another Grizzlies game-winner. That was where uh, Jay Crowder hit a, a game-winning three at the buzzer. That was – Ja actually got the game-winning assist, and he got that assist because two guys went with him because they were so scared of him taking the last shot that Jay Crowder was wide open for a transition three and knocked it down. So the Grizzlies have two uh, buzzer-beating wins right now. Um, and then we'll go most improved player so far through 10 games. This one, I, I like this award because I feel like nobody ever remembers who the past winners are, but if you go, if you go online and look back at the list of previous winners, it's a pretty impressive group of players actually. So here, I'll go through like the last, uh, seven winners. Okay. And this is in order of last season and then going back, you know, a year each year. So this past season, uh, was Pascal Siakam won it the year before was old depot then Giannis, C.J. McCollum, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, and Paul George. So basically, if you win this award, history is on your side and shows that you have a pretty good chance to be a future all-star in the league at the minimum. Because, you know, the best case scenario is Giannis, where you're a possible two-time MVP. We'll see after this season. Um, and now, so far th- uh, this season, there's there are a ton of candidates, which makes sense because it's so early in the season. Of course, there's a lot of guys who... You know, maybe they put in a ton of work in the offseason and just you know, came into the season outperforming everyone. So really what it'll come down to is which of these guys can maintain their current level of play throughout the entire season, and then we'll see who, who it ends up being. So uh, like I said, there's a bunch of candidates. So here's just a couple that come to mind. You got Brandon Ingram, who averaged 18 last season, is currently averaging 26. Fred Van Fleet averaged only 11 last season. This season's up to 17. And then, surprise, you have Andrew Wiggins, who only averaged 18 last season, but this season he's up to 26, and get this, he's raised his field goal percentage by almost seven full percentage points. Um, now, those are three worthy candidates, but here, there's two guys who I think it really comes down to. So if I had to say who I thought, who I think is going to win this award, at the end of the season, I would say it would be Malcolm Brogdon, who averaged 16 points on the Bucks last season. Now this season on the Pacers, he's averaging 21 points per game, which isn't the huge, you know, it's not the most impressive, the biggest jump in points per game. But he's basically the only offensive threat on that Pacers team. And I think a lot of these awards are based on narrative and A lot of people didn't think that Brogdon would be able to you know run a team as like the focal point on offense they just thought he's best suited for a team like the Bucks last season where he's the third playmaker behind maybe even the fourth honestly behind uh, uh, Giannis Middleton and then sometimes even Bledsoe was ahead of him in the pecking order but he's uh he's proved everyone wrong this season so far at least the key word or the key phrase there is so far but it would be extremely interesting if brogdon were to win the most improved player of the year award because that would mean that in his short career i believe it's only like his third or fourth season i think fourth season he would have already won rookie of the year and most improved player which that that might sound crazy at first because it's like oh if you're good enough to win rookie of the year how can you make that big of a jump to also be able to win most improved sounds crazy at first then you go back look at that rookie of the year race it makes a ton of sense because that award that was an extremely weak uh, rookie class and really it came down to Brogdon versus Embiid and if you could just go by like their statistics and just watching them play it wasn't even close Embiid was a million times better of a player but he barely played like I think he barely played half the season that year so basically it just came down to he didn't play enough games to be able to win the award so Brogdon kind of won it on a technicality you know I don't want to take anything away from him by saying that but that's the that's the truth like no one would have made the argument that he was a better player than Embiid uh so so I think Brogdon is the guy who most realistically is going to win win the award at the end of the year but if I had to pick who it should be right now Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors and now I know that's like it sounds so weird because he just won it this past season right so this past season uh was so the last season. I mean, he uh he jumped his average points per game up from 7 points per game the previous year. So that would be two seasons ago to 17 points per game this past season. And basically, he was I think it's safe to say that there were games where it would it would alternate between him and Kyle Lowry, but you know, it would alternate between those two guys on who was the best player, the second best player on the Raptors because obviously Kawhi was their assassin, their leading go-to scorer. But you know, Throughout, because Kawhi, sorry, Kawhi likes to kind of cruise through the first three uh, quarters of the game, as we're seeing this season on the Clippers, and then take over in the fourth. So, you know, he would rely on Lowry and Siakam to carry the team those first three quarters. Um, And so, so Siakam really impressed everyone last season, right? And then coming into this season, so Kawhi leaves, goes to the Clippers, obviously, and everyone's like, "Wow, like Siakam was really good last year, but..." It's so much easier when you're the secondary, or you know, maybe even the third focal point on offense in terms of like the other team game planning for you. So how how is he going to do this season when he is the main option? And uh, he has answered the 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 toll. I believe is the uh, I believe that's the saying. So Siakam this season is averaging 27 points per game to go with four assists and nine rebounds per game. Right. Um, also shooting 37% from three, which is above, well above average, and then 49% from the field. So, okay, so here, here here's here's my point in this, is that I, I understand why people would be like, well, okay, wait, you already won the most improved player of the year award. Like, we can't give it to you again. But okay, if, if we gave him that award after bumping his average points per game up from 7 to 17, which is... For those of you out there who can't do math, that's 10 points per game that he increased his scoring average. Why would he not win it again this season if he averages 27 points? Because again, if you still don't know math, 27 up from 17, that's 10 points per game also. So I guess this is more of like a kind of similar to how the Joel Embiid, Malcolm Brogdon rookie of the year race was kind of like a referendum on how voting for these awards works. I I really do think the outcome of this, this year's most improved player award is going to be similar to that because, and again, Malcolm Brogdon might be involved, but he might be right in the middle of things because it's like people have a, they have a problem with giving the same person multiple most improved player of the year awards. I just don't understand that fundamentally, I guess, where it's like, it's complicated. Like, I get what they're saying when it's like, well, you already won it once. How could you improve? You know, you can't be the most improved player again. But it, how? If you're bumping your average up 10 points per game each season, it's like, like, I just think these awards, it really should be that simple where it's like Siakam right now is the most improved player in the league because while Brandon Ingram, you know, he made like a similar jump. Um, it wasn't, I mean, his jump is actually... Slightly less impressive because he averaged more points per game last season than Siakam did, and he's averaging fewer points per game this season than Siakam is. So, right there, that alone, right there, just take the facts. Like what I just said is a fact that Siakam increased his points per game so far this season more than Brandon Ingram did. And then, if you want to go team success, uh, obviously Siakam's team, the Raptors, are doing much better than Brandon Ingram's team, the Pelicans, are doing. Um, so, I feel like I'm getting off on a tangent on this point, but I just think a lot of these awards in general are like, there's so much nuance and like it's all based on these random principles and just like preconceived notions. I don't know what they're preconceived from, but like going back, it's like I think we should have given Joel Embiid the Rookie of the Year Award because those awards, these awards, the whole point of them is to be like, their history, right? When, like, people, you know, 20 years, 30 years down the road, when people are looking back on players' careers, they're going to look at Joel Embiid's career and see no Rookie of the Year award. And, you know, who knows? There's there's probably not going to be someone sitting with that person to be able to tell them, oh, okay, no, 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 but the reason he didn't get Rookie of the Year was because blah, 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 blah. They're just going to, you know, like, it should be because Joel Embiid dominated... From the second he actually started playing in the NBA, so that's what I think. Um, where it's like you want his career to be properly, you want his career picture to be properly painted, right? Where it's like if you if he has the the uh, Rookie of the Year award from his rookie season, where he put up insane stats, you I think we should have that, you know, in the history books. And I understand he didn't play that many games, but like when he was out there, he was a dominant force anyways let's let's just move along to another award because i'm even confusing myself now so let's go ahead and move on to the sixth man of the year award so right now after 10 games it has to be surprise lou williams uh he's putting up some crazy numbers um you know okay so here so i have i have a slight bone to pick here with so lou williams you look at his numbers this season right 22 points per game six assists four rebounds And you're like, wow, for a six man who comes off the bench, who who plays, you know, doesn't even play that much, that's insane. But guess what? This is called research, right here. Here's a stat I found: Lou Williams leads the Clippers in minutes per game. So, I just, this is just maybe just like a a personal, uh, like moral. I don't think you should qualify as the best, you know, quote unquote bench player. In the league, if if you actually play the most minutes out of anyone else on your team, um, but I do understand that based on like, you know right now the rules are as long as you're not starting over whatever X amount of games per season, then you are considered a six man blah blah blah. So right now, if we're voting today, Lou Williams has to take that award because, like I said, those numbers are pretty insane, and the Clippers still have a really good record, but. I do I do want to throw out one other player who I think has the most realistic chance to snatch that award away from Lou Will. So so okay, so it looks like the Lakers and Clippers are about to be, you know, throughout the entire season, they're going to going to be battling for the title of best team in the league. So I wonder if kind of a battle within that that larger war right there can be Kuzma versus Lou Williams for the six man award. Now Kuzma has come off the bench in all but one of the games that he's played so far this season. And I I think that keeping him as a six man for this Lakers team is actually, that, that would actually be in the best interest of the Lakers for their season because they already have enough scoring out there in that starting lineup with LeBron, Anthony Davis, Danny Green. You know, they don't need another, like, they don't need another guy who can just score. And that's basically all he can do. They do, however, need someone like that on their bench because as amazing as Caruso is, he's already in the bald white guy hall of fame. Um, and, you know, as as great as Dwight Howard has been so far this season um, and as terrible as KCP has been, it's just the Lakers don't have a go-to score off the bench. So I think that's perfect if Kuzma can be that guy. Now, Kuzma's only averaging 14 points per game so far this season. And like I said earlier, Lou Williams is averaging 22. Um, but there are two two main reasons why I think that that discrepancy in their their averages will change throughout the course of the year. So the first first thing is that Kuzma missed most of basically all of the offseason and and the first four games of the regular season because of this ankle injury. Now anyone who's played basketball knows like an ankle injury is not something that's super easy to come back from right because that makes it hard to even like work out and stay in shape so he's still working back into game shape and he's also on top of that getting used to all these new guys all these new teammates that he has on the lakers because we've already gone over it but basically it's like only besides kuzma it's only like four players who are the same from last season and then on the flip side of that Lou Williams is only going to see his minutes and you know points per game and all his other stats go down as the season goes on because guess what Paul George as of today Thursday November fourteenth twenty nineteen is officially back he uh, he made his debut today against the Pelicans and the Clippers of course lost um, not obviously that you know again first came back take some time to work up blah 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 but you know as Paul George works back into shape and gets used to this team, he's there's there's no way he's not about to get his you know minimum 22 points per game. And he's of course going to be playing like at least 30 to 35 minutes per game. And that, that inevitably means that Paul George is going to be taking the ball out of Lou Williams hands a lot, especially in crunch time, because as good as Lou Williams is and as great, I'll say great as he is at like, you know, getting buckets in crunch time and just scoring the rock. Paul George is a better overall player. Of course, he's going to move into the the second, you know, second in the pegging order on the Clippers and Lou Williams is actually going to take a back seat to him and actually he'll probably fall more, you know, he'll fall, fall back more into like the traditional six man uh role where he's playing <laughs> under 30 minutes per game, I would assume. And he'll still be able to put up numbers, but I do think as the season goes on we'll see Kuzma raise his average up to I would say I would say he'll end the season around like 17 18 points per game and I I wouldn't be surprised if Lou Williams finishes the season averaging around that same amount. So then it will come down to team success and you know I think it's safe to assume the Lakers and Clippers are going to have a very similar record when the season wraps up and at that point it might come down to something as simple as like similar to how the MVP award is voted on, where it's like, okay, we've given Lou Williams a million of these things. I'm pretty sure he has like, wait, let me check my notes, 37 six Man of the Year awards already in his career. Um, so I think that that could lead to people just being like, okay, let's just give it to Kuzma. Like, you know, he's a young kid. He's he stuck it out through these tough years in LA. Again, these awards are all based on narrative. And that could be the narrative is like, Kuzma was basically the best player on these Laker teams the past few years. You know, he wasn't the highest drafted. That was Lonzo Ball, D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram, but Kuzma performed the best. So now it's like, oh wow, what a what a team player! He took a backseat to um, took a backseat to LeBron and Anthony Davis willingly, and then still put up you know pretty good numbers off the bench. What a what a guy! Let's award him with this Six Man of the Year award okay, let's let's do let's move on to Coach of the year. So if the season ended today, Monty Williams, the Phoenix Suns coach, would definitely be the winner of this award and rightfully so because I do think that like the gap between where everyone expected the Suns to be, which was again one of the worst teams in the league to where they actually are, is that's the biggest gap in the league. Um, and again, by all accounts like Monty Williams is a great coach. I've never heard, any player, other coach, executive, you know, media member, I've never heard anyone say a bad thing about him. And just the fact that he has the Suns competitive even though they lost uh Deandre Ayton, their their number one pick one year ago, uh, they're still this this good and they like they have a terrible bench and etcetera etcetera. They're still a competitive team and uh, that has a lot to do with the coaching, I feel like. But I do have to mention and I i i apologize um i'm i'm trying my best not to be like a complete obvious laker homer on this podcast but i do have to throw out that if if i were voting on this award today frank vogel is second place on my ballot so going into the season think about how many people were out there just just basically roasting the shit out of vogel okay so the lakers tried to hire two other coaches uh it was Mont. it was first it was Ty Lou I believe, and then it was Monty Williams, and both of those guys turned down the job, right, for different reasons, um, but they both turned down the Laker job, and then Vogel was the third option, so it's like, hey, Ty, you want to coach this team? No? Oh, damn, okay, well, Monty, you, you want to coach the team, right? Oh, wait, what? You're coaching the Phoenix Suns? Oh, um, damn, well, there's that What's that dude? He Remember he coached the Pacers a couple years ago and they had that big weird dude, Hibbert. Yeah, he's he's he was good, right? Okay, yeah, let's get him. So they hired Frank Vogel, third option Frank. Um, And then on top of all that, it was a pretty just like common theme that was floated out there a lot that people expected the Lakers to uh, struggle out of the gate, you know, as most LeBron teams do, you know, when he's like adding a bunch of new teammates. And just that makes sense. Like if you're adding... Anthony Davis, plus a million other new pieces, who not only new pieces, but new pieces playing key roles, you would expect the team to struggle at first, especially in like the loaded Western Conference. Um, And it was expected that, you know, the Lakers would struggle and then they would use Vogel as the scapegoat and then they would fire him, which would then allow Jason Kidd, who is currently. The you know the main the associate whatever assistant coach for the Lakers so that would allow him to take over the head coaching job and LeBron has made it let's just say very well known that he loves Jason Kidd he admires him considers him a mentor and you know it's safe to say that if you're a coach that was not handpicked by LeBron you have to uh, you have to walk around with a rearview mirror for yourself because you never know when he's going to pop out of nowhere and just boom, stab you in the back. Uh, Shouts out to David Blatt. So, so I just have to shout out Vogel because the Lakers right now being nine and two second best record in the league uh, and first in the Western conference while also having arguably the stingiest defense in the entire league. That means that Frank Vogel is doing something right and he knows what he's doing. Um, And I'm not going to lie myself as a Laker fan, watching that first that opening night game lakers versus clippers there were times when i thought to myself oh man like these guys don't they are not listening to vogel like every time out or whenever during the game when lebron you know would have something to say or like have an idea of a play to run or you know a, a change to make on defense or whatever he would always look over to jason kidd and not frank vogel and still here is frank vogel Leading his team to the second-best record in the entire league and the current number one seed in the Western Conference, um, and then uh, Nick Nurse also needs to just be an honorable mention here for this award, just because you know the Raptors lose their best player from last season, Kawhi Leonard, and then a starter in Danny Green in the off-season, and then they also lose Kyle Lowry early in the season, and they're still eight and three. Um, so that that's not a surprise. It's just mainly proving something that we all learned last season, which is that Nick nurse is a hell of a coach. And he also did win a coach's challenge of a foul call. So that alone might be enough to win the coach of the year award, to be honest at this point. Um, So let's, let's move along to these are awards that aren't official NBA awards that are handed out at the end of the year, but I just wanted to go through them for now because I feel like they're a a good way to kind of get a snapshot of the season so far through 10 games. Uh, So, The most disappointing team, Uh, I couldn't choose between one team, so I picked two. So the first team is the Portland Trailblazers. And if you remember from last season, this is a team that went to the Western Conference Finals. Um, And now it doesn't seem like they had any huge offseason losses just because, you know, you think like, well, that whole team is Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And both of those guys are still there. But this is just a a perfect example of how like these little pieces that you lose uh, that don't maybe don't seem like you know super impactful players on their own. If you lose just a, you know two or three of those guys, it makes a huge difference, right? So so from this team last season that made the Western Conference Finals, they lost Al Faruq Aminu and Mo Harkless, who were actually two starters on their team last season, and now both of those guys. Uh, choked honestly I don't know if there's a better way to say it also I'll, I'll keep it real they choked in the playoffs last year but those are two guys who were like consistent above average NBA starters you know during the regular season at least they would play above average defense on perimeter wings and they're also big enough to bang down low with some power forwards and even some centers and then they could also hit hit a three at like an above slightly above average or worst case average clip um, and then you also have to factor in that Yusuf Nurkic is out for possibly the whole season. Hopefully he comes back at some point, maybe like at the midway point, but he's out for the foreseeable future. And then Zach Collins got hurt. That's a huge injury because he his role was only expanding, you know, because he's a young player and just developing. So he was supposed to step into a larger role this season. And then they also lost Seth Curry to the Dallas Mavericks, which is probably one of the more underrated uh offseason losses because that guy he I'm pretty sure he led the league in three-point percentage last year and he was just like a a dependable playmaker who could get his own shot uh off the bench for them so you know if you take all that into consideration and look who they added like Hassan Whiteside that uh, like four years ago that would have been a huge move and you know you look at Hassan Whiteside's stats and you're like oh wow like those are pretty good numbers, you know. He's getting a lot of rebounds, putting up a respectable amount of points. But if just watch a Blazer game, just watch him play, and you know it'll take maybe three plays maximum, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that guy's not good, and he's especially not good for a team based around uh, two, you know, pick and roll friendly guards because he cannot move. Hassan Whiteside cannot move, and uh, he's just a a horrible pick and roll partner because he can't shoot either. So it's like defense is no. He's doing one thing. He's rolling to the basket. And even when he does that, it's not like you're really scared of him, like hitting you with a post move. He's basically just a guy who like, he'll get his points just off easy putbacks and just easy lobs and basically just easy shots. Um, And then you also have to just look at their starting lineup. They were starting Anthony Tolliver and Mario Hazonia. They might be making some moves. They might have already made a move today. Uh, I'd, don't have the facts confirmed yet, but we'll probably get more into that on a, a later podcast that will be coming up uh, in the next couple days. Um, but then the the next uh, most disappointing team... So I wanted to pick one from the West, one from the East. My most disappointing team in the Eastern Conference has to be the Chicago Bulls. Now, the Bulls are 4-8, and eight, uh, which is actually... Sorry, that's the same record that the uh, Portland Trailblazers have at the moment as well. But so the Bulls were... This is a team that was like, you know, they're still a young team, right? And it's not like they had a great year last year, but they showed some promise last season. And they just have a lot of players who, if you look at them, you think like this should be a pretty legit team, um, especially in the weak Eastern Conference. And if you look at their off-season additions, it really looked like they were kind of go- – they were going for like what the Magic did last season, right, where it's like they have a couple good players and then they fill around that with like – savvy veterans who at least won't be negatives out there on the floor so they're trying to get to the playoffs now just to so their thing is like they don't want to tank because they it seems like they value the experience of making it to the playoffs more than just getting another high lottery pick it seemed like the bulls were going for it this year and honestly i could see like going into the season it looked like even like the seven seed was a real possibility for them um because they added thaddeus young uh Otto Porter. And then, you know, you combine that with guys like Zach Levine, who's, that's their star. Um, and then, which that might say a lot about their team right there, that Zach Levine's your star. But also, Lori Markinin has shown some flashes and has put up some big numbers. And then uh, Wendell Carter Jr. has looked like he's going to have a, a solid, you know, long career in the NBA. But so far this season, it just, things have not gone as the Bulls expected coming into the year. Because this is a team that, you know, you, you look at their schedule at the beginning of the season, it was pretty easy. So you, you expected them to, you know, beat some of these, like, bottom feeder teams in the league. So, but listen to some of the teams that they've already lost to this season, okay? They've lost to the Charlotte Hornets, the New York Knicks, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, the Pacers, and, and then the other teams they lost to are good. But right there, that's, like, four of the worst teams in the NBA and the Bulls are losing to them, so the Bulls have to be considered one of the worst teams in the NBA. Now, I do believe that they can turn it around, but it's just through ten games. That's that's super disappointing that they're not like that. They're not at least in the mix. You know, they're not even in the playoff picture right now uh, in the Eastern Conference, which doesn't look great as a conference. Uh, which is nothing new uh, based on the past couple seasons. Uh, but let's move along to the final uh, the final award through the first 10 games of the nba season and that is the most disappointing player of the year award goes to drumroll please ben simmons so the 76ers are currently seven and four uh, which is good for fifth in the eastern conference ben simmons is averaging 14 points per game six rebounds and six and a half assists per game Uh, he's also shooting 54 percent from the free throw line so that's not great. Um and then but the main reason why he he takes home this award is the fact that he hasn't taken a single three-pointer this season. And you know, if you were on Instagram this summer, all you saw basically every day was all these videos of like Ben Simmons playing in a random pickup game and just hitting threes. And you're like, "Wow, okay. Th- that actually looks good. Like he's shooting it with confidence. Like, you know, We want to have hope as NBA fans, right? Because we want to see these players like Ben Simmons who show so much promise their rookie season. We want to see them get better because if Ben Simmons can at least just get okay at threes and at least take them, you know, that'll open up his game and it'll just make the 76ers even more exciting to watch. But he hasn't done that yet. And it's just, it's simple. Uh, It's probably, you know, it's like shame on us as the fans for buying into these videos because who you know you play basketball and you know like if it's a game against random people especially if you're a lot better than them like okay sure you know it's easy to shoot threes with confidence there but when it comes down to like a real game where all the cameras are on you and it's you know nationally televised and it's like oh if you miss this you're gonna be you know people are gonna uh, people are gonna roast you it's a lot different so it seems like for him it's just a mental block um, and that's why it's disappointing because what did he do this off season? He wasn't playing on the uh, the World Cup team, right? Uh, it looked like he was in the gym playing pickup games at least. So what else? I, I don't know. Like I, I was on YouTube the other day and I saw in the suggested videos that apparently like he has a, a vlog. So maybe, I mean, I don't want to sound like one of those old guys like, oh, what are these players doing with vlogs? Maybe you should be working on your threes. But I feel like this is a situation where it's safe to say that because we see all this evidence of him making threes and then the season goes along, 10 games in, zero three-point attempts. So that's, I believe that's the definition of disappointing. Um, so congratulations to Ben Simmons, uh, your 2019-2020 10-game most disappointing player of the year in the NBA. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. I just want to do a, a quick PSA to uh, Bill Simmons, Kevin O'Connor, and anyone else at the ringer uh, who who may hear this for whatever reason. I really hope that uh, you all know that what I said at the beginning of this episode, really hope it doesn't prevent prevent me from any uh, future collaborations because I really I swear to God I wasn't trying to start any beef out here. I just I just took, took a little uh, umbrage, I believe is the phrase, with uh, something that you guys said on one of your episodes. So I thought it would be relevant to address it here. Uh, But anyways, it would be uh, much appreciated if all the listeners out there would be so kind as to subscribe, like, leave a review, uh, give us a a rating. Uh, That would be very much appreciated. And uh, we should be back in the next few days with a new episode, hopefully. So be on the lookout for that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or basically just wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, To everyone out there, I'll leave you with this one last question. Uh, Can you be considered for sixth man of the year if you actually play the most out of anyone on your entire team? Hmm. Hmm.